This episode is brought to you by MyProducer.io, a new marketplace for film, TV, and commercial production staffing. MyProducer.io is a community focused on connecting talented producers and hiring managers with the next generation of crew. Job seekers can create a profile and apply to jobs absolutely for free. Employers can create one-week postings for free, or they can choose from a handful of paid options. Visit MyProducer.io today and use code HWOOD25 to receive 25% off any paid posting. Okay, we're here with Justin Nichols, in-house casting director at Think Factory Media. Welcome. Thanks, man. How are you? Doing well. It's been a couple of years, actually, right? It's been a very long time. You know, I, I try to stay yeah. away, but yeah. I just, uh, I couldn't That's, resist this. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have to kind of entice you, give you a carrot to come back in. That's what it is. Because the pleasure of my company is not enough. Right? Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not. No, Terrible. it's good to be here. It's good to be here. I promise. Nice. Well, it's good to see you. You know, you've changed your role in the industry since we last talked. So we're going to get to that. But I want to start out with just, you know, when you first came to L.A., tell us about that start. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely one of those people that has, you know, kind of a cliche Los Angeles story. I came to L.A. with no entertainment background whatsoever, didn't know what I was getting myself into, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to move out here, see if the lure of the entertainment industry is for me, yeah. and I gave it a shot. It took a lot of bouncing around, but I kind of I found my way. Started at the good old TMZ. And now uh, I've worked my way through various different jobs. So let's let's break that down a bit. What did you do at TMZ, and then what other things did you do during that time? Yeah. So prior to coming to LA, I was actually a cruise director on board cruise ships, and so I knew I loved being around people. I loved hosting ridiculous game shows on board the ship and whatnot. And so I was like, you know what? This was great on a ship. Wouldn't it be fun to do it on television? So I came to LA and. I put a ridiculous, embarrassing video reel of me online as a cruise director. And were, was, they, were there a lot of old people? <laughs> oh, it was all old people, but that was my nice. jam. That was my bread and butter. Yeah. They loved me. Why? Because I was a great bingo caller <laughs> and good limbo instructor. Let's, let's hear it. Can you call out some numbers for us? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I had like a super cheesy announcer voice on board because cruise ships are so cheesy, right? Yeah, so so cheesy. I, I'm kind of hoarse today, but you know, it would be like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board Celebrity Cruises. Not bad, not bad, right? No, I like it. It's, that's cute. That's cute. I think we should just do the rest of the podcast with that voice. Right? The entire time will yeah. be just like this, and people will never listen again. Justin, tell us about the time when you. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. Okay, so TMZ. TMZ. Uh, you were doing a bunch of things there. I was doing so many different things there from being on the show and pitching stories about celebrities to working in the office and just kind of just jumping in for the first time working in a fast paced like news television environment, right. even to the point of doing the, the TMZ tour. You know, you've seen those buses like drive around town. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. They actually use staff from the office to do those tours. And I got to do that as well, you know, because I was a cruise director. So nice. It was great. That's awesome. So, dare I ask, did it pay okay? Were you, like, eating ramen all the time? Or? <laughs> I've learned very well never to mess with TMZ. So, yeah, it was great. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, if only we had a camera right now. That's right. Ch check out your this facial This is why, thank goodness, it's for yeah. radio. No, here's the thing. TMZ knows what they're doing, and they hire a lot of, you know, young kids, like, fresh out of college, and they give them awesome opportunities. So... You know, was I rolling in, in cash? No. However, I will never take away that experience I had at TMZ at all. Got it. Good politically. How'd I do? Answer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should run for office. <laughs> okay. So TMZ and then you were doing other stuff. You did a couple of projects for Marching Penguin that you are, I don't know, bashful about, but you did great in those projects. Thank you. Thank you. You did some other stuff too, right? I did, yeah. So while I was at TMZ, I told them all along that, you know, I dreamt of, you know, being the Ryan Seacrest out there, or the, or the Carson Daly, you know, as far as hosting a show like that. And so while I was at TMZ, they were really cool about letting me work on other projects. So I was actually the fake host on CBS's Undercover Boss, where I would, you know, host these elaborate game shows on set so that no one knew it was Undercover Boss. I did that. I worked for you. And I would do freelance 
you know, hosting gigs for companies. But then I quickly realized that although I loved hosting, the industry's changing so fast. And I don't want to discourage anyone who wants to be a host out there, but no longer can you just be someone that can speak well on camera as a host, yeah. you know? I really feel like if Ryan Seacrest moved to LA today and he wasn't a YouTuber or he wasn't an Instagram celebrity, that's who are getting these hosting on camera roles yeah, now. Absolutely. And that wasn't me. And so I just quickly said, what other jobs would I be happy at where I don't necessarily need to be an Instagram celebrity? And what's great about casting is I get to interview people all day long, exactly like I did when I was hosting. It's just now behind the camera, which I'm okay with. I still get yeah. to do what I love. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's a logical flow because it's still within the realm of performance and talent. And so you're just, you know, putting a different spin on it. So maybe so. I'll be, you know, Andy Cohen next. Go that route. Next. Become, you know, a big TV executive and then just give myself my own show. Why not? <laughs> Why not? That's, it's that's, just that easy, right? That's my plan. Yeah. Right? Well, cool. So tell us more about what you do now, because I wouldn't say it's unconventional, but it's not what people think of as the typical casting director role. I mean, you are doing casting, but it's in a different capacity. Yeah. So the production company I work at is called Think Factory Media, and we do a lot of development projects where, you know, networks will come to us every single week with an idea, an idea that they've always wanted to try, but never knew if it would work out. And so my role and the team that I work with is we go out and scour the country to see if these people even exist. And, you know, it's looking high and low, sometimes literally physically walking down the street trying to find that person or thanks to Instagram, YouTube and whatnot, we can find talent. And so I wish sometimes I worked on these shows where millions of people applied and I just got to pick my favorite. I'm doing opposite shows where I'm trying to like find that needle in the haystack somewhere in the country who is the next, you know, huge breakout reality TV star. Mm. That's if that awesome. makes any sense. So, yeah. you know, always on the hunt. Yeah, that makes sense. If you know totally. of anyone, let me know. I know, right? It depends on what you're looking for. <laughs> Everything. I, I know some cute rescue dogs. <laughs> that show's probably coming, right? It's already coming. What is the weirdest, oddest request that you've had? From a network? Or, or anyone, I mean, in terms of casting, I'm sure in the industry you've gotten some weird stuff, but let's De focus on casting. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think networks are constantly trying to push the boundaries of, you know, what's even out there to the point where you're just like, roll your eyes, like, how does this even exist? So, hmm. you know, really tough ones are we, they're, I don't know, without sounding, you know, politically incorrect here, but... We once had a request to do an entire show of people who are of Asian descent, but who are rednecks in the South. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, like, they wanted an entire yeah. cast of that because if anyone listening watches Big Brother, I think two seasons ago, there was a gentleman named James Yoon on, and he was this guy from Texas who happened to be of Asian descent. People went crazy for him, and networks wanted an entire cast of that character. So right. I was trying to find in the South a group of multi-generational families who have the southern accent who hunt and fish and live in the bayous but who happen to be of asian descent like that that's that, that is bizarre yeah i can i can say that ha being part asian and having grown up in ohio where you know there's a 0.1 asian population that yeah it's hard it's, it yeah it's hard and it's i mean in the south it's even rarer so yeah that's crazy so how did that search go Believe it or not, we actually found some really great characters who were in the South, and they were phenomenal. But unfortunately, in the line I work in, it's just like being an actor. You know, it takes 99 rejections to get, you know, one yes. It's the same thing in reality TV right. development, where we found the great characters, but the network ultimately decided... Nope, not something we want to do, and I had to move on. Got it. Did they give an explanation? I mean, they came up with such a fantastic idea to begin with. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, with this with this group that we found, we found that their employers were actually not that on board with this idea of the places they worked. And oh, so interesting. There's so many layers to getting someone onto television that yeah. you wouldn't even think about. Yeah. And oftentimes, it's people's jobs who would be like, absolutely not. This is not something that we want yeah, you to do. Yeah, exactly. It's like Ugh. the wrong kind of 
Yeah, there's so many things wrong. We won't even dig into it. That's a different different show. What about the second oddest request? Second oddest request. I mean, my job is odd in general. So every single day is odd. And people I'm interviewing tell me stories that I never even could imagine would be real. You know, and I have to pretend like this is the most normal thing that I've ever heard. Right. Right. But, you know, we've done projects where, you know, we're looking for siblings who are pregnant with multiples at the same time, you know, or two generations who are, you know, a lot of pregnancy stories are, you know, I mean, you literally can think of it and we'll do it. We wanted to send someone in a sailboat, you know, around the world and do that. Like we've done it. We've done it all in the years I've been doing this. Nice. I'm going to have to keep thinking of stuff to after the show challenge you with. Maybe we can come up with an even weirder show at some point. I'm sure I've been pitched it. I'm sure I've been pitched it. Right. Okay. Well, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Yeah, we're going to, we and all the listeners are going to try and come up with ideas for you. I'm always looking, so please send them in. Right. So walk us through that process because, again, I think a lot of people in the industry have an understanding of how casting works yeah. we do a decent amount of casting especially for you know if we're producing original content that's shot then yeah we'll go out and do some kind of casting call we'll do casting calls for voiceover but it's different for what you're doing so talk about that process yeah so i mean the process is really hard because once we get the idea we have to find someone and you know i know with you working in television you probably get this all the time as well Every single person out there thinks they should have a reality show, right? Everyone. And we hear it a thousand times a day. Right. So when we find someone who actually fits what we're looking for, our biggest challenge is they're going to say, oh, my gosh, I'm perfect for this. But then the problem is most likely they're not because either they have a job that's not right for this or they actually don't want to gossip about their best friend, Becky, Yes, they do that in real life, but once the camera guy's in front of you, the yeah. microphone booms there. Exactly. They you clam up. They yeah. shut up. So the process for us is really, really hard because what they're telling us sounds great. Yeah. And then we have to figure out, will they actually do this yeah. on camera? Yeah. You know, so yeah. for us, it starts with literally blowing them up on social media. And I want to thank, you know, TMZ in that background where, you know, we'll find someone great and we'll message them on Instagram, believe it or not, of all places. And then I'll also try to find them on Twitter and message them on Twitter, find them on Facebook, and then see if they have a YouTube or like a company email and just hit them every which way. And then see if they'll even take my phone call, which is oftentimes a no. Yeah, that's interesting. And then from there, you know, what's really nice about casting now is with the power of FaceTime and Skype, very rarely do we even go out into the field anymore. You know, Got we it. can interview the entire cast all via FaceTime and Skype, yeah. and we've sold entire series by just showing the network Skypes, which is amazing now. Wow. Okay, interesting. Microsoft, Apple, if you're listening, you can sponsor this show. That's right. Contact us. Thank you. But <laughs> but that's great. I mean, you know, I couldn't agree more. It's like the fact that we can quote-unquote video conference, you know, on our phones, and that's know old hat at this point yeah is, is helping a lot of aspects of the industry and other industries as well well i think it's also so crucial too because as you know as networks have less and less money to spend on casting we have to continually think of ways to find great talent but faster cheaper you know it, it's become so hard it's right. so stressful right are there any tools or platforms that you guys use i know we use stuff like you know, voice one, two, three for voiceover artists and, you know, there are different casting sites. And I don't know if you know the folks over at Hollywood Casting and Film, but they have their own yeah. physical location and they basically provide the location for free and you can put out casting calls to their talent network. So, yeah, what kind of tools do you guys use, if any? You know, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think that there are so many great casting sites for people who want to be in unscripted television. And for anyone listening who wants to be on a reality show, I'm not saying don't join those sites because do it. But a lot of times the projects that I work on, we have found that's, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this, I don't want to interrupt, you know, ruin any sponsorships, but. Yeah, well, we, we don't have any casting sponsors <clears throat> yet. There but... we go. I have found that sometimes on the nationwide casting sites for reality television, and they have reality television casting sites, sometimes those people want it, they want to be on television too badly. And when you interview them, 
you can tell that they're trying to like give you a performance because they want right. to be on TV. Yeah, exactly. And we have found that if we just randomly find this person, let's say in Georgia, who just was posting his Instagram of his crazy life and never applied to reality show, and then we contact him and literally just pluck him out of his regular life, we get a way better performance. Mm. So there are tools that we use as far as these casting sites, depending on what show we're gonna do, but when we're trying to find just the next Mama June from Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, we actually try to avoid a lot of places just because we wanna find them, find the person that's never even thought about TV before. Right, right, interesting. But I think that's almost indirectly good advice for anyone in the industry, which is there's an aspect of less is more, whether you're in front of the camera or behind it. and the actions speak louder than words right and so if you want a job it's great to have the enthusiasm for it but you know just putting extra energy and overdoing it doesn't come off as authentic you know authenticity is delivered through actions is kind of my mo so no i completely agree especially you know if you are someone that wants to get into the industry as far as in front of the camera it can go either way is that what you're talking about I'm talking about both sides of the cameras. I just think that, you know, it's clear, like there's a reason why we talk about overacting a lot. That's that's trying too hard. And I think there's also a element of that for behind the camera as well, right? Which is folks who are not authentic and who say they really want to be a part of a project and then they don't show up on time for the interview and they don't show up to set on time, you know, and they're complaining and putting on a, a bad attitude. So, you know, I think it's sometimes it's the most basic blocking and tackling that gets you the roles and the jobs. A hundred percent. And I think that, yeah, people just have to be aware of, you know, don't come across as like wanting that too hard or like, you know, if you're a film director or aspiring film director, you know, like, I don't know, we like all of us at our production company, you know, we look at people's social media and all of that, you know, if you are director's life everywhere you're just kind of like all right come on man right yeah exactly exactly (laughs) actually not to make it about me but it reminds me a story that's consistent with this when i was in college and it's exactly what you're talking about in terms of not being the person that you would think would be coming up for the role but they were casting for a short film when i was an undergrad we didn't have a film program so that was pretty rare there was a, a theater program And so there were a ton of theater majors and actors that were stage actors that were auditioning for this short film. And I had a performance background and sort of public speaking and and doing sort of dramatic monologues and poetry and stuff like that. So I went in and auditioned and just kind of gave a very basic, like not super crazy, you know, performance and, and landed the lead. And I was like, that's crazy you know but it just comes back to like i it wasn't i went in there and didn't even like try hard i just kind of gave it a shot and i think that's a lot of times people don't realize that you don't need to be bigger than life in your auditions and in your interviews you know a hundred percent and you know for anyone out there that is listening that is an actor or you know wants to be on screen or behind screen like 100%, like we, the TV audience can sniff out someone that's fake or trying too hard. And so us in the industry can sniff that out too, you know, like exactly. So 100% agree with you. Let's switch gears. Would love to hear what the best project is that you've ever worked on or that you're proudest of. And it it could be either in casting or more in the performance side of things. Yeah. I think one of the projects that I'm most proud of, and it's going to seem very self-centered because it's one that I did... (laughs) all on my own but I think it's just I'm proud of the industry like taking a chance on taking a real family right something that's not crazy and throwing drinks in your face and making this loud crazy show but you know believe it or not I get so many great stories and so many you know wonderful talent from social media and I was on Facebook one night and I saw this story of a beautiful just middle of America family in Texas hmm. who happened to be pregnant with sex tuplets. And, Yikes. you know, but they they were just this sweet family and they right. were going through something that none of us have ever gone through before. And so I reached out to them on Facebook. You know, they trusted me and I interviewed them on Skype and just kind of kept it quiet. And I edited it myself, you know, and just and I'm not a good editor at right. all. But, right. I, you know, we told their story and we took it to a network 
And right there, you know, that same week, the network picked up the entire series. And wow. it was just one of those where I was really proud of it for being able to, you know, find a good story that no one else had gotten to. But right. then also for there's still room in television to tell just a nice family story. Right. You know, they're going through, of course, something extraordinary, but they weren't fighting each other and they weren't screaming at each other. And yet it still found a home on, on television. You know, yeah. so I'm really proud yeah, of that exactly. one. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's the thing is I almost feel there's two kinds of, you know, reality, so to speak. And we sometimes forget about the more subdued or, yeah. you know, the one that has the more authentic stories. I mean, it's interesting to me. I don't I'm not familiar with all of the reality development folks at the studios, but I do know that Amazon, for instance, has mm -hmm. a head of alternative programming. They don't call it reality yeah. because they realize that there's a whole slew of different kinds of reality. And yeah. so, I mean, I think it'd be nice to see an uptick in that because I think that's what people are exhausted by the sensationalism. So, And I think we have reached that point, too, where, you know, a couple years ago it was what can be the loudest show? What can be the loudest show, loudest show? And I think that America yeah. started seeing that it was becoming a little too produced. You know, and you could tell that, that even the wild, this authentic character wouldn't behave that way. And so I think we're starting to see a shift now back to don't have it be scripted. Don't have it looked overproduced because America has really become educated on unscripted television right. and they want to see that authenticity. Right. Another thing that I'm really excited about and proud of is with all that is going on in our country right now, politics right. aside, you know. Right. What's going on in over, our country? Right? <laughs> you know. I, I kid, we don't talk about politics on this show. But, there we go. Yeah. I think that there has been a big interest in the networks and finding positive messaging and just a positive, uplifting show right, right. now. Yeah, and exactly. so we're seeing a lot of networks send us requests for programming that is not political, that is just super feel-good, warm and fuzzy. And I like mm. working on those projects, yeah. you know? And yeah, it's, exactly. it's nice to see because for so long it was... How can we get the most people fighting in a room? Or what can be the edgiest political show? And right. I think America right now is saying, we have enough of that in real life yeah. that let's just watch something that makes us feel right. good. Exactly. Like CNN and Fox have become the producers <laughs> of reality TV because it's actually real. Totally. We couldn't yeah. even have created reality TV shows as, as wild as what's happening right, right now on the Fox News, the CNNs, and in yeah, the White House. Exactly. So now we have to be the warm and fuzzy ones yeah. that are trying to fill that yeah. void right now. That's hilarious and so true. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of maybe the more negative things in life, <laughs> Great. what's the worst project in, you know, sometimes we name names Ooh. on this show, other times we don't. <laughs> other, other times it's edited to protect certain folks yeah. but yeah <laughs> going back to what we, you know there is still a show that keeps me up at night and it is it's over thank goodness okay. but because there's so much content out there understandably networks have to push the envelope unfortunately casting oftentimes then we don't get a say oftentimes in the development ideas we just get told hey the show is sold cast it but it could be impossible like almost literally impossible so the worst project I ever worked on the show was great, let me tell you that. However, just from like trying to find enough great people to do it was we did an arranged marriage show where your parents would go on dates with someone for you. And then whoever they picked, you would just meet them at the altar. And you never got to see them ahead of time. And then we would follow that journey as you learn to be with someone that you literally met 10 minutes ago at your wedding day, right? I'm just cringing over here. Again, <laughs> we don't have a camera, but it's just yikes. For the record, I'm saying it was a great show. Right. All right. I mean, I can see yeah. where the entertainment value is and sort of the cliffhangers and what happens next, but the problem, wow. you know, the problem with, and that's what's the problem with casting is the show got picked up. We were, and we already started having cameras on the ground. But because the show was so tough to cast, understandably, people that we found were getting cold feet, right? Mm. And they decided that they no longer wanted to do the show. And by the way, we didn't fake this. So they actually had to go get the marriage certificate. They really had to get married. This wasn't like a, oh, pretend, wink, wink. So finding people that were like, yeah, I want to do this was really, really tough. And then the problem was is that people were falling out a week before filming. Mm. So you can imagine... I was having to call people being like, hey, we have a girl in your area. 
would you want to marry her? And then that <laughs> oh was people's God. reaction. And then yeah. the problem was I would be like, and they'd be like, okay, well, when? And I'd be like, in six days from now. You know, yeah. I would, they would literally have to get yeah. married in six days. That's and, amazing. And so to this day, I mean, we literally called in an entire team to help me. And I remember I flew to one of the cities at the last second and was just walking like into like bars and restaurants and trying to find people who seem like the type of person that our talent wanted, you know, right. and we would have, I would have them meet with people that were helping match make and see if it was going right. to be a good fit, but we'd do it in like five days. It was, it was, it was literally crazy. Yeah. That sounds insane. I asked this more out of curiosity and, you know, and I will apologize if it sounds in any way ignorant. But Here I go. Here we go. Ethnicity wise, was there a skew? Because I do feel like there tends to be, you know, a skew on arranged marriages to certain cultures. Yeah. So what's really interesting about this project was they didn't want it to be anything about an arranged marriage because of a culture. Right. Wow. So okay. we purposely went for couples that had nothing to do with their culture. No one else in their family had ever done this arranged marriage. We went for the storylines of, I've tried everything to find love. My parents have been together for 30 years. Who knows me better than my parents? So I'm going to have them do this. But it had nothing wow. to do with culture, which is which made it even harder. Well, yeah, because I was going to say, I think there are a couple of cultures that you could have immediately gone to and probably had and could a do, lot of people yeah. to cast with, you know? But, but no, they went, you know, this one to make it extra hard. Yeah, so yeah. they uh, they were like, no, nope, don't go Did you get a route. raise after that show? No, but I should have. But I did get a nice vacation afterwards. Note I needed to, it. Note to Think Factory Media, give this guy a raise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> No, they're gonna love that. I hope they're listening. They're like, they're like, no. <laughs> um, I tried. Thank you. So that's an interesting worst project. That's great. I love it. So somewhere in between those, what's the project that taught you the most? And that could have been it was just really hard, mm -hmm. or it could have been, and I think this is the case for me every day of my life, because you're making mistakes and learning yeah. from those mistakes. So. What is that one project that really taught you something? Yeah, there was a project that still sticks in my mind, and I think this will really relate to anyone that works in television, even if they're not in casting, where the pressure to deliver what the network or the studio wants can be so great that sometimes you feel the urge to be like, you know what, this they'll do. Instead of spending the extra time and money or going to the network and saying, you know what, I haven't met your timeline, but give me a two or three more weeks and I will. There's a pressure sometimes to say, uh, if we just change their edit or like, you know, they'll be good enough and we'll hope that in the field we'll get it. Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think any creative industry has to face that. You yeah. Know, it's advertising or entertainment, all sorts of entertainment, right? Whether it's TV or theater mm -hmm. or films or even commercials, right? It's constant because you can make something better always there's never like a real finishing point yeah. the finishing point is oh we created a deadline or we said we locked it up or we're out of money yeah you know and you know so what this project that still sticks with me is a network once wanted to do an ensemble cast of successful women in a particular town who all were giving back to their town in, in a certain way, whether they were starting a charity, whether they hosted the biggest gala, or they worked with the homeless. Like these really were inspiring, successful women. And I was really excited about it. But you know what? Like every show, there has to be stakes. The women have to have disagreements on camera because we need to see them resolve that conflict. Right. You know? And at the company, I had just started casting kind of my own projects, and I really wanted to show them with this project, one of my first ones, that this is gonna be great. So I found super successful women that were great for this project in the town they were looking for, and they were all giving back, but I was nervous I was going to lose them if I really dove into them with them about how I need you to get in conflicts with the others, and I need you guys to be open about having drama in your lives and then we'll see you resolve it in right. the end and i just told myself well you know what that will happen in the field like i'll just tell them this is a feel-good show you know about their charities which that was part of it but i kind of just you know Ooh, didn't yeah. want to lose them yeah and exactly there is that pressure all the time and so sure enough we sent cameras and spent a lot of money going to this town 
and the women just didn't want to play ball as far as having any type of conflict. And I'm right. not saying like fights and pull each other's hair, but I wasn't honest with them about what we truly right. needed because I knew we were going to lose them. And we yeah. would have. Now I've learned from that mistake. And I think that producers can learn from this as far as, you know, when they're in the field or whatnot. But being honest, you know what? It may make your job 10 times harder. But now when I talk to people, I say, who do you have a conflict with? Are you willing to, in front of your friends and family, in front of the world to see, call, you know, through those conflicts with them, on camera and nine out of 10 times they say no. And even if they're so great for television, I have to move on, you right. know? So I've made my yeah. job harder, but I've learned from that mistake of trying to sweep something under the rug or trying to surprise someone when we get there that we need more drama right. than we do. And yeah. now I'm just honest and say, yeah. I need the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, exactly. That's an awesome example. And I think it's a powerful lesson it's yeah. it's great that you learned it i feel that a lot of people including myself really in in my career probably made that mistake more than once before yep. you kind of learn i think some people never learn it but the way i look at it these days and i kind of consider myself mid-career right i've, I've yep. had a couple of small careers so to speak and you know here i am in one of the toughest industries in the world and i constantly think about and talk to my team and anyone that partners with us about playing the long game like just play the long game right so mm -hmm. that means that sometimes the ugly has to come out and things that you don't want to talk about right now that you prefer to kick down the road it's important to talk about them now you know so i think anyone that works with me understands that i usually ask all the tough questions really early on yeah you know, i ask about money i ask about commitment i ask about where people's hearts are at because I want to know, you know, because I, if I'm having that interaction, it's not just for one transaction. You know, I hope yep. that anyone that works on my team, I hope to be working with them in a decade. And if they don't have that mindset or if they just don't like what we're about, mm -hmm. then that's okay, but it needs to come out, you know? So I think you play the long game and, you know, it's awesome that you're doing that now because I think probably what that means is that all the, ancillary skills that you need to, for instance, convert someone who might be a no, who might say initially, hey, I don't want conflict, but you've probably gotten a lot better at being like, I hear where you're at and here's what other people have done to deal with that. Yeah. And what do you think now? You know, and you probably have come up with all these strategies to, you know, convince people in an authentic way where they know what Truly. they're getting into. And I think one of the things that we now explain to talent is we want America to root for you because if America's rooting for you, like we, they're going to keep tuning in, right? But if everything's always going great in your life, America is nothing to like hang on to. So we just tell them like, we're excited to see how you resolve this conflict. Let us cheer for you at the end, but we want to see how you get from point A to point right. B. And I think they get that. But yeah, I mean, another challenge that I've had too is, I'm just like the worst casting director ever, but I know every person in casting and you have, I'm sure as well, it is so easy to make, you can make anyone be the biggest villain or the biggest hero in the power of the edit. Right. You know, and yeah, so absolutely. sometimes you just want to show your client, for us, it is the TV networks or it's the movie studio. Mm. You want to show them that you found this great character and you can make someone the edit be anyone you need to be. But then once again, when you finally get there with the cameras on the ground, if you weren't authentic, they're not going to deliver. And now you have a world of problems that are going to be way more expensive than just extending casting because you haven't right. found the right person yet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, I think, great advice and a great story. So when it comes to looking at new projects, how do you guys evaluate good story? How do you differentiate between you know, something that could be the next show versus, hey, that's just an interesting idea, but probably not something we want to pursue. Yeah, you know, it's it's really tough. And I think it's also such a good topic because this is the same for, you know, scripted programming and unscripted programming. And I think our struggle right now is there's just so much content out there. Right. You know, and I've, I've heard the other podcasts and I know you guys have already talked about this, but it's how do you find a story that's going to make its way through all of the other stories that are already out there, you know? Right. And so I think that you have to find something that is still, that somehow has, I don't know, it sounds so basic, but like a unique twist because with storytelling, I find that this industry is very reactionary. So if there's one hit television show, all of a sudden we get pitched slight variations of 
that similar show. Right. And I think that just trying to find a story where even if we see flaws in the way they pitched it, if it's just something that we feel like has truly never even been thought of and it's weird as hell, we know that we can like bring that back down to earth, but at least it's something like fresh and new. Right. So I don't know. I feel like people taking swings at weird things or taking swings at worlds that have just never even been thought of before. Right. Only because there's so many stories out there of at least on Unscripted World, you know, like the real worlds and the Jersey Shores, you know, and all right, of that. Exactly. And it, it's trying to find that like weird new, you know, angle to it. Right. Exactly. Did that answer it at all? I don't know. I, no, I think that helps. I, I'm curious, you know, and I, I know a lot of folks who are either in development, run production companies, or are kind of the ideas people in independent film. What's that criteria for weirdness or being different, you know, because we've been in instances and I won't name particular projects, right? But we've had meetings with development executives yeah. and the feedback might be that is very, very weird and different and great. We love the idea, but that happens a lot in the industry too. There's a but. The but. Right? And it's like, you know, I think that's probably what I'm always curious about, what other filmmakers are curious about is... Where does the butt come from? I think some of that comes from it's just personality and style, right? Yeah. It depends on which exec you're talking to because, you know, one month it might be someone who's there and then the next month they're not there and it's their, you know, the yeah. person that took their job and that person might love the idea. So, you know. You know and that's really interesting, too, is that there's so much strategy when it comes to presenting your ideas, you know, and do your research and find out who are the executives at this network or is there a new executive coming in that you know is going to champion your idea or is the person that's championing your idea going to go to a different network? Sit on your idea for a while. See where that executive that loves the idea is going to end up and then take it over there. You know, like we have a lot of ideas sometimes where, you know, we have a we love the show, but we just feel like. It's not ready with, you know, the network right now, but maybe in a year it's going to be perfect. Does right. that make any sense? Like, yeah. It is, it is a, a hard waiting game to get those right people that are going to love it to see at the right time. Right. Exactly. So it's like almost a lot of it is relationships and, and timing. Is there anything else that you use to kind of evaluate that something is unique and different? Yeah. I mean, this at least in Unscripted, but I'm sure, you know, in, in any movie making, you know, like, how genuine are the stories, you know, and do these characters have more than one arc? Like a lot of times people will bring us a show because there is this great storyline of character A versus character B. And we're going to see that play out the whole season. But we also need to have a clearly defined storyline C, D, E, F, G, H. I mean, it goes on and on. Right, these, these, exactly. These shows have to be so, so much to them that it's just finding there has to be just a world of content in there. And right. sometimes just that one arc just won't get us across the finish line, no matter how great that arc may be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's tough. I think that's where all the the legwork comes from is for anyone that hasn't developed or written mm -hmm. is how layered the stories are. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see it in scripted, especially if there's an ensemble cast yeah. like a Grey's Anatomy where you just see Sondra Rhimes creates like all these twists and turns, which is what draws people in. Yeah. But that is a lot of work and a lot of precision, you know, so. And I think that's where we get the butts as well from the networks is they'll say, oh my gosh, I love this. But after three episodes, like What's what new? happens yeah, now? Yeah, exactly. Where we used to be able to pitch an idea and then say, well, we'll figure out the rest after that. Yeah. Now we basically have to pitch two, three seasons of content so that they feel comfortable enough to yeah. even, you know, film a pilot. So yeah. it's just the stakes keep going up and up as far as, right. you know, the talent, but also yeah. the storylines. And I mean, it's, right. it's, it's a struggle. A yeah. <laughs> the struggle well, is I real. keep coming back to it. I said all the time, we're a bunch of masochists in this industry. We love our art and we're willing to suffer a lot to try and make it come to life. What, a lot. Which is part of what we, you know, we love about it and is great, but it is all very, very challenging.
It really is. So speaking of our industry, you know, we ask this every episode, every guest, how can we be better? What's your take on that? You know, it's going to be such a cliche answer. And I think we're starting to get there. But I think as an industry, we still need to look at diversity because mm. I've listened to podcasts and, I, and I've heard it. And you right. get, everyone that's listening right now is like rolling their eyes and we get it. But I think we need to go beyond. I know in casting, we're looking, when we say diversity, it's like, okay, do we make sure to get the one person from this demographic and the one person, you know, for this and make sure we get that gay guy in there. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, yeah. we still have to, like, right now, it's still just checking the boxes. And I think that I can't wait until content gets out there where we're no longer just having the token gay or we have, you know, right. like... The one African-American couple, like whatever it is, right. like where now it's, I think we truly just need to broaden it where the cast is just the cast and it's as diverse as truly yeah. the United States is. Yeah. And I also think that in television, it also is who we work with and who we work for. I know in casting, like it's predominant, you know, it's, there's a lot of, it's very female and um, unscripted casting anyway, you know, yeah. where I think that we just need to continually try to hire people from different points of view and what have you. Yeah, and exactly. Not only in the stories that we tell, but the people that we hire yeah. is diverse because, you know, the shows that are showing true diversity are doing better than the ones that are not. Right, right. I think we're starting to see that finally, although I do question how, you know, what are the steps to get to yep. show more of that diversity because I, there are a lot of people who I know who have been guests on this show who see the need for that mm -hmm. but i do think that we lack a lot of of the right next steps to yep. get that diversity i and i think like i don't know some of it may just be like basic rules and basic things that we should all yep. agree to as filmmakers i mean i'll say i don't know if you've seen the trailer for crazy rich asians not yet the interesting thing is that when I saw the title, I just immediately rolled my eyes because it just sounded like another fresh off the boat. Yeah. Right. And I was like, why are we calling out ethnicity? And I get the cast is that ethnicity, yeah. but why are we calling that out in the title? You know, we don't call that out for other ethnicities or religions yeah. or whatever. So... You know, I think that's an inherent flaw. The crazy thing is, if you do watch the trailer and know what the book and the script is about, it's not at all about, quote unquote, being Asian. It's about, you know, it's a love story. Yeah. Like, it's pretty amazing when you watch the trailer. So, you know, I think there's some basic habits that we've adopted that we just need to let go of. You know, I think it's part of that yeah. checking the box thing is like, so I don't know how we how we change those habits as a baseline. I know? think it is. I think it is really, really tough. You know, I think it, so much of it is hiring, just still focus on hiring because if you hire the right people, then they're going to put the right, you know, the cast in it, whatever. Right. However, now let me totally potentially contradict myself and uh -huh. say another thing that I think the industry needs to be aware of. And I know this is a super hot topic right now because of, well, at the time of this recording, this just happened, or a couple weeks ago, right. was the success of the show Roseanne, right? Mm. I mean, with the ratings that it had was insane. And I think that sometimes Hollywood, and in, definitely in television and reality television, we tend to be very liberal leaning. And I think that we still need to show diversity but I think that we also sometimes forget that there are there's a huge audience out there that sometimes in the in us liberal Hollywood groups we forget about. And we sometimes develop shows that are so edgy and trendy. And, you know, we're doing shows about being gender fluid and transitioning. And I think that's so important. Those shows need to be told and made. But at the same time, like I think there also needs to be shows we've now seen about the real life Roseanne. You know, like right. obviously there was a situation with Roseanne that the show is now no longer going to happen. But right. I think that we also need to remember that there's an entire world outside of Hollywood that is excited to consume content. And sometimes we don't always think of shows that satisfy that need, you know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's our big push right now at our company is remembering that there is a Roseanne audience out there and they want to see that Roseanne family. And if that's unscripted, great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Any other ways you think we should be better or how we should be better? I mean, of course, we should get paid way more, you know, <laughs> right. Right. pick up all of our shows. Yeah. yeah. I think just not only having diverse people on the show, but then also remembering there's a diverse audience and like not just, you know, trying to sell to like, you know, 
one audience. Right. One question about diversity, it's almost a question for both of us, is around what is that, right? Because there's different takes. I think every group has their opinion yeah. on what that should be. Women, rightfully so, are like there should be more female directors and more females cast in certain roles that are not stereotypical. And they're right. Asian Americans feel a different way. Yeah. You know, African Americans feel a different way and, and on down the line, you know, I'm obviously omitting a bunch of other yeah. big groups and not on purpose, but just for the sake of time. But how do we strike the right balance, right? You know, who's what's diversity? Where you know, I think maybe that's part of the challenge is like if we tell people who are not of a diverse background that yep. they should be more diverse and they go, well, I don't know, what does that mean? Does that mean that I do have to hire a female director? It's like, well, what if that's not the person, you know, what if I look at female directors and I'm not finding the one that I want for this job? Like, I think that's okay. But then like, you know, where's the diversity come from? I think that's partially probably part of the problem. It is. I mean, it's it's really challenging. I think it's challenging when you're hiring for your team because, like you said, the person with the best resume and background, let's just say for an example, is like right, like a white male. However, if you have already have an entire crew of white males, like all of a sudden, just because now this person has a different perspective, like that may pass them in the qualifications. I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough challenge. Yeah. I think yeah. that hiring, it's just getting people in the door. Yeah. You know, and I think it's something that's gonna take a long time, yeah. but just getting people at a young age, like in the door and working their way up. Yeah, exactly. I actually think you hit the nail on the head. I forget we had another guest who mentioned a group that places PAs from like diverse backgrounds, usually from, you know, like poor socioeconomic yep. backgrounds into those entry level roles. And I think that's a great way because a lot of times that is foot in the door, yeah. you know, it's like, that's how someone becomes a director. You know, you don't, you don't become a director by just stepping on set and saying, I'm a director. You have to work yeah. your way up and learn filmmaking and eventually you get your shot. Right. And so if we have a pool of people that are coming up the ranks that are of a diverse background, then yeah. know, we've got a better shot at that. So I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and before we started this, we had mentioned it a little bit too, is I think that at a lower level position, like a PA, take a chance on someone that has a different background than what you're used to seeing with PAs. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they didn't go to film school, but you can tell when you meet them that they have the best eye or they have such a great work ethic and they're the most eager, like, Take a chance on those individuals because I think that then you're going to start getting people from different worlds and different backgrounds onto your sets, you know? And, yeah, exactly. And not the kid who, hey, he has a, he's had a million internships, but like he's really just, a, you know, done coffee. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That makes exactly. any sense. No, that does. That does. And I think, you know, maybe to expand on that point is like we, we look for people that might disagree with us in a healthy way. You know, I think there's dis there's disagreement. I have an issue if someone disagrees with me on basic principles of like, you know, being nice to people and being like, having good energy in the workplace and on set. But if you disagree with me because you think that this is the way a process should be, then that's healthy disagreement. Yeah. Like, you know, let's talk about it and let's understand why. And, you know, a lot of times that does come from diverse backgrounds because people have been raised in different ways and yeah. They're associated with different cultures, you know? Yep, 100%. So, so cool. So let's make it more diverse. It's <laughs> just that easy, right? Yeah, right, right. No, I think the, the baseline, you know, we've established it is, you know, kind of a bottom-up approach is, is going to be, yeah. you know, some of the, I think some of the thinking around, you know, let's put diverse people into those roles is starting to happen more and more, which is great. But I think, you know, we do need that bottom-up approach. So we were talking earlier about how do you evaluate good story Mm -hmm. It'd be great to kind of understand the flip side of what you see from networks, what, what yeah. kind of feedback you're getting. What do you think the environment is currently like out there for, you know, pitching different networks and studios? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where just like scripted television right now, we're kind of in this great era where there's so many networks out there right now. There's so many places to take your content or their streaming content that there's a big need. However, what's we're also finding really interesting and what we are trying to do with pitches and pitches that we take from people is we're willing to, we want to swing big right now because we're finding that some of the networks, they're okay with putting less hours of new content out there, but they're taking bigger swings, bigger budgets, 
kind of going big or going home type right now. And right. it's exciting right now in the industry. And so yeah. like we are looking for, you know, to partner with people that are wanting to swing big as well. Right. Because even though they might not pick up as many shows, the shows they do pick up are going to be bigger, better, and, and better than ever. So right. I, mean, I think that's that's encouraging right now. Right. It's been so many years of less and less and less and less as far as, you know, budgets and what networks are willing to do. So I'm hopeful right now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, yeah. it's really positive to hear that because I think in aggregate, yeah, there's a lot of downward pressure on cost. And, and sometimes it's because technology has come a long way, mm-hmm. you know, so it's getting easier to film on location and they're amazing tools and cameras are getting better and cheaper but that's really just one part of the equation as we know it's like there's the physical production elements but there's still all the work that happens behind the scenes with development and pre-production and you know the talent that you're working with and attaching talent and all those sorts of things and so you know you definitely need money for those things and there's nothing better as a creative or as an artist to have actually have resources right because we're always kind of penny pinching and looking where to save and so we're the same way yeah people would bring us great ideas but then we used to just be like wow that's a great idea but it's just way too expensive and yes cost still matters but now we kind of like hearing these pitches just because we're at a time right now where a network may take a swing at it yeah and that's pretty exciting yeah absolutely I know the folks at Amazon have that yeah. mentality. I know fewer folks at Netflix, but I do know that's also the kind of the thinking. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's such a thing as people being turned down because the concept is too small, you know? So, And I think that's also great to know from, you know, the contrast in terms of, like, looking at ideas that you might want to do yourself or try and kickstart or, you know, however you want to organically create that content yeah. that because there's a world for that distribution, then there's clear delineation between small and big projects. So we're not caught in this weird, hey, we're trying to do a half a million dollar show, but for a $150,000 budget and people are grumpy and they're not getting paid correctly and they're working overtime and, you know, it just creates kind of a toxic environment. And then obviously the product might suffer. Suffer, yeah. So, So yeah, definitely. I think that's those are cool developments. So you guys are always actively taking pitches, right? So how can people, how can they flood your inbox? Yeah, this is my, uh, this is my shameless plug. Absolutely. You know, Think Factory Media, we do develop a lot of, mostly a lot of our own content, but you know, we're not crazy. And if there is a great idea out there that has not been done before, we love hearing it. And so if anyone, you know, has been looking to share their content with a production company, you know, we we love taking pitches and love taking meetings. And so you can go on to our website, which is thinkfactorymedia.com, and you'll see a casting tab. You'll see my email there. And also know that we would send you a submission form where you your idea is protected, our intellectual, you know, property is protected, and that way we can share the ideas that you have in a safe manner. So we're always out there looking for uh, the next big show. I always got your so eye come on, on, Jordy. on the next thing. Bring it. it, it it's coming. I'm pulling up the site right now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Submission forms coming. Yeah. So, no, that's great. Well, it's awesome to see that, you know, you've made so much progress in, in your career just over the past couple of years. We'll definitely have to, yeah, stay in better touch. Stay not tuned. Not just on podcasts. Yeah, totally staying tuned. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. No, thank you. And uh, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Later. We'll talk to you soon. Bye venture-backed startups and Fortune 500 companies alike. With more than 1,000 produced videos to date, Marching Penguin has a broad experience set to accommodate marketers looking to create a stronger online footprint with video. Visit GoMarchingPenguin.com to learn more today.